Welcome to FedWatch, a Bitcoin magazine podcast. Before we get into the show, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, you know who it is. It is Swan Bitcoin. This is one of the best places to stack stats in America. They are available in 49 states and they look nothing like Coinbase. They look nothing like Kraken. It is not a trading interface. It is really a place that you can send your mom, your aunt, your sister, whoever is not, you don't want them to see some crazy altcoin chart and, you know, all this trading UX. You want them to be saving Bitcoin. Swan, to have this thing is called the sentence. You walk through the sentence, you say how much I want to save, how often I want to save it, and to what address I want to send it to. It's really that easy. Check out Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. Next up, eToro. For those of you who are into trading, <laughs> check out eToro. eToro is an amazing one-stop shop where you can buy Bitcoin and pull it off the exchange, but you can do so much more. You can index invest. You can test out your TA skills on a virtual platform where it has no real skin in the game, or you can copy trade the best traders. You are passively getting exposure to an active trading strategy. Check out eToro at eToro.com. Last but not least is BISC. BISC is an awesome, awesome application that enables you to buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin without having to register with the service. You download the BISC software. You use the BISC software to coordinate with other buyers and sellers, and you can buy Bitcoin in a very, very easy way from the safety of your home without having to participate in KYC or any of that other kind of registration activity. Highly recommend to give BISC a try. Amazing open source project, amazing platform, and again, very, very easy to use. Check out BISC. All right, Ansel, welcome back to FedWatch episode number nine and the third episode uh, as the co-host. Uh, we are currently living in history. We're currently experiencing some absolutely incredible social unrest across the United States. Many people will say this is a racial thing. This is something that had to do with the murder of George Floyd. But I think that Bitcoiners and other people who have been paying attention to the macro environment have been calling for this breakdown in civility, breakdown in society for a long time because of how money has been manipulated since the breaking of the gold window. I mean, I would love to just start with getting your 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 take on what we're seeing right now and from a monetary or from a from an economics perspective, you know, what are the kind of undertones that are driving this? Yeah, I think that it's I don't know, I've been going back and forth on the Discord server with several people. There seems to be two kind of camps, you know, the law and order camp, and then the kind of upset or riot camp. And I fall squarely against the police in this instance, because I see the police as, you know, an arm of the state, and they are enforcing laws that have hurt certain communities over others. And if you look at just the, from the economic side, you know, since 2008, especially the underlying economy has been hollowed out where asset prices have been pumped, right? And so the upper classes have benefited much more over the last 10 years. They've been doing really well. Half a million, million dollar homes are doing really well, but you know the ghetto is not. It's being hollowed out. 
the manufacturing has been continued to be pushed over to China or Asia or wherever. And the lower classes in the United States are, have gotten the short end of the stick economically. That's for sure. And it's, that's only possible when you can bail out people with printing money or printing debt, increasing the debt. So it's 100% a monetary phenomenon in my mind. I mean, I fall right with Saifedean on this, you know, where fiat money has a, uh, it degrades not only the economy and the productive capacity, but it degrades culture. We can go on and on about how much this fiat money system that we have is very bad for the fabric of society. And we're seeing that blow up today. So let's dive into that, actually, because I, I think Bitcoiners really resonate with this idea, but I don't think the majority of the world quite gets it yet. Uh, there was an interesting photo. I think it was taken in Austin of a, a, a gentleman holding a sign, a protester holding a sign that says Bitcoin will save us all. And then some mm. famous news anchor that was covering the whole thing on Twitter, you know, is she just posted a picture of that saying like, oh, Jesus, you know, like as if like, come on, dude, like <laughs> get get out of here. On the flip side, us Bitcoiners really, truly believe that, you know, a sound money system will fix a lot of these issues. I know you kind of did touch on, you know, hollowing out of the, the middle class and exporting of jobs. Why, you know, why does money run so deep in our human society and our, hum- our, our being? Yeah, well, the people that, whoever that reporter was that responded with that, she just doesn't know her history. The way that money works, you know, money is this good that allows us to coordinate with each other, divide labor, divide tasks, continue to make a, the economy more complex and make more complex goods and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so if there's a problem with the money, the coordination is breaking down. That's how I kind of view it. And when you have distorted or skewed money through manipulating inflation or manipulating uh, interest rates or whatever, then the price signals within the economy get skewed as well. So if you save, as prices are going up, like let's say asset prices for stocks, that signals certain things into the economy and more capital flows in that direction. You're in San Francisco. There's been a lot of money printing and a lot of startup type culture and a lot of stuff has flown into Silicon Valley and that that stuff. It's created a bubble and you can see that in the real estate prices and, and everything. So it skews the entire economy a certain way. It skews investment a certain way. And then other things get left behind like the mom and pop shops or high quality manufacturing. I'm, I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, furniture stores where the guy is actually in there, carp- a carpenter is in there making high quality furniture. That type of stuff is, is being hollowed out for the cheap metal stuff that you can buy. Um, and so, Ikea. yeah, Ikea. So over the years that compounds, it'll build into a bubble and it'll crash. And then if you come in and bail that out, then you don't give the opportunity of, you know, the society, the opportunity to clean out that malinvestment and you just continue going down that road. And so if you apply that to this situation, you know, it's been years, decades. I mean, Rodney King was back in what, 92 or 93. You know, this, this has been happening for a long, long time. The lower classes, they feel disenfranchised and they are big time, not only in the monetary matters, but in legal matters and everything. I can definitely understand that. And I'm glad that you brought up Rodney King because 
Rodney King was obviously violent riots in Los Angeles due to police brutality towards uh, an African-American gentleman. We've kind of seen this with George Floyd is an exponential increase in the anger towards, you know, arguably the same crime. A man was murdered. But instead of just riots in L.A., it's literally riots in every single major country in the U.S. and protests across the globe. Like this is not just in the U.S. Like this has become so global and so heated that, you know, we're, we're seeing people march in New Zealand. Well, it's getting worse. I'm, I'm, Rodney King didn't die, right? He was just permanently handicapped or something like that. And he was high on PCP. It was an outrage that they used excessive force, but it was still somewhat understandable. Like it's gotten to the point now where the, the violence on the sides, the side of the, uh, you know, enforcement arm of the state has gotten really, really bad and unbearable. So um, we could get into all sorts of stuff about it. Has this been planned? Has this been instigated? Because there's some like stuff going around about pallets of bricks that have been left on the streets for people to, you know, easily pick up and throw in windows and things, but it's all blowback. In my opinion, it's all blowback. It's blowback from either a result of government policy or fighting over control. They want to get Trump out maybe. So they're going to instigate this and try to, you know, cause a, some sort of civil war in the United States, but it's all political in the end. It's fight over power. It's, it's rooted in government action. Something interesting that we've also kind of seen start to materialize is uh, signs of martial law in the United States, yeah. uh, which is pretty scary. Um, we definitely see Trump kind of like yelling about that. But on top of that, uh, the governor of New York just uh, in a press conference said that Mayor de Blasio has failed and he you know, should remove him and, in, and implement the National Guard and other federal-based security in the, in the city of New York. I mean, you have a history in the military and, you've, and, and also you know, uh, a lot of knowledge of history. You know, what, does, what does this like eking uh, or creeping martial law kind of mean for, for the U.S.? what I see when I look out there is I see um, socialists versus fascists in the street. That's really scary because where are the libertarians? We need to have some space carved out for freedom. And if the choice is either Antifa or nationalism, then it's going to get violent. It's going to get bad. The economy will definitely not grow in that, you know, in that instance. So you need to have freedom, free markets, relative peace for the economy to grow. Now we're heading into depression and there's the rise of these, uh, the alt left and the alt right, or however you want to frame that. It doesn't look good for the near future, but I am still bullish on the United States over the next couple decades. I think it's just going to be pretty bad for the coming years. So I guess, what does this correction look like in terms of American oh. society and how America's organized? I don't know. I mean, the reason why I'm bullish is because I think freedom always wins in the end. You know, even in socialist regimes like the USSR, communist re regimes, there was healthy black markets. So, uh, and eventually it turned around. I don't think it's, a, it's not a coincidence that the Soviet Union lasted for 70 years. You know, if you think about the fourth turning and the four generations, you know, it lasted for about four generations. So I don't think we're looking at anything like that in the U.S., but eventually free markets win. Eventually freedom wins. So that's why I'm kind of bullish on the U.S. And then if you take like uh, how many 
resources we have here, the history of business and free markets, the amount of capital that's still here. Um, I'm just bullish long-term on the U S I don't know what that looks like, but yeah, no, I think that's a good, good explanation of your mental model. Um, Speaking of the fourth turning, uh, I feel like that's a concept that is, that's very interesting to kind of break down. Brandon Quidham and Marty Bent talked about it on uh, Brandon's interview with Marty on Tales from the Crypt. Can you explain uh, the fourth turning? And a lot of people think that we are in the step four of our own fourth turning. We're living in the fourth turning um, right now. So I guess, can you kind of break break down what the concept is? And uh, do you think that we are living in the fourth turning right now? I listened to that episode with uh, Marty and is it Brendan? It really good, really good. I have mentioned the four turning on my show a couple times in passing. Um, never dove into it very far, but it, it's similar to the idea of you know, uh, good times breed uh, weak men. Weak men breed bad times. Bad times uh, breed strong men, and strong men breed good times. So it's a cycle. Um, but the four turning is specifically about generations, and right now, like every four generations or so, the world, Western civilization at least, goes through something, uh, some sort of, um, reset, either a major war or some sort of mass, uh, social unrest. So you can go back, just trace it back every 80 years, roughly, uh, to about 1500. I think there's been a major sort of revolutionary time every 80 to hundred years in Western culture. So I, I do think that we are in another time like that. I don't know if it's, a uh, 1850, you know, with a civil war, in the U.S. and there was a bunch of stuff going on in Europe in 1848 with some revolutions, but it might be similar to that. I don't think it's a World War II era. Like I'm, I'm very, I don't think we're going to have a, a world war again, and that is because of nuclear weapons. Um, unfortunately, nuclear weapons are very destructive, but um, like the game theory involved there, build up the biggest nuclear arsenal you can, and now it's peaceful. Like there's no world wars. Um, it might be more cyber. And I think you and I might've talked about that before where cyber war is going to be like the next frontier because you can still have all out cyber war without unleashing nuclear weapons. I don't see a big, is that considered a cold war? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know what it would be considered. I mean, remember they had that Stuxnet that took down like the Iranian, uh, electrical grid or something like that. This was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, it's going to be stuff like that and it could be really bad for your living standards, but it's at least not going to be bombs dropping on you. Yeah. So it's attacking the grid, attacking infrastructure, that kind of stuff. Yep. I mean, in that case, I feel like Bitcoin is going to both decentralize the grid a lot and make, uh, our power infrastructure a lot more resilient, probably as well as internet infrastructure. But on the same time, it's probably also going to drive, Cold War 2.0, because if countries start to compete to mine, you know, that's that's almost like a Cold War there is is just this competition to nationalize mining resources and 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 compete to mine as much Bitcoin as possible. Bitcoin will piggyback off of like hardened infrastructure. So these countries will harden their infrastructure, but Bitcoin will benefit from that. Um, Bitcoin will drive it. It's the incentive to find the electricity. Yeah, that too. And I'm also really big on, I'm not a big, like, clean energy person, but I'm very big sustainability person, you know, self uh, reliance. And so I like solar. I think solar is going to be 
uh, it's been making leaps and bounds. Batteries have been making leaps and bounds here recently. So um, I do think that the coming 10, 20 years, we're going to see a revolution in how we produce electricity. Yeah, that would be good for Bitcoin, I think. 100%. Again, I think Bitcoin's driving it. I really think that in the next five years, we're going to see Bitcoin as like a pivotal tool in energy infrastructure. But I want to bring this back to the recent unrest. Obviously, there's been a lot of, you know, kind of buildup to this recent unrest with the monetary policy, as you've kind of discussed previously. But the fact that there's so many people unemployed at home, bored because of this COVID lockdown and the and the government policy around social distancing and stuff like that. I really feel like that is like gasoline on the fire right there. That really, that enabled people to not be at work. You know, that enabled huge portions of the population, you know, double digit percentages to just be available to, to get out into the street and voice their frustrations. Um, Do you have any thoughts on kind of the impact around COVID policy and how that has influenced this situation? Well, I just see this huge uh, dependency out there, right? Everyone wants to know what the government's going to do. How are you going to help me today? What, what's, when's my stimulus check getting here? So it breeds this dependence on government. And so then when there is abuse of that, that it's really big deal. So the reason why the cops being uh, overly aggressive is because they are, are like everyone's so dependent on what the government says what the government does how the government treats them Um, it's just the government has consumed our every inch of our lives and so when the cops are are rough that's a really bad situation to be in i think it makes it 10 times worse so i see that i see this whole situation from the government has gotten too damn big everyone's gotten too damn dependent and if you feel like the government rules your world and now the government is killing your neighbor on the street, then it sparks outrage. So I guess where do you kind of see this kind of playing out in the next coming uh, months and weeks? Do you see these, these protests and curfews and stuff like this at like continuing to escalate or do you think people are going to, are going to get bored? Well, what's the average time of a riot uh, or protest like three days, three or four days. And we're already past that. Um, we've seen the Hong Kong stuff go on for years. Um, it might, it might like lessen in severity, but it will simmer under the surface for a long, long time. Uh, the only way to end it is to see radical change. And that would be policy wise, monetary policy, you know, polit- um, social policy, all of those things. And I don't, I don't see that coming anytime soon. How do you kind of see all of this stuff rubbing up against the timing of the next election? between Joe Biden and, and our current president, Donald Trump? <laughs> I don't vote. I recommend people don't vote, but I called it a long time ago. Like, I don't know, probably 18 months ago, I said it's going to be a landslide for Trump. I still think that. I do think there could be something, like I was talking about with the bricks earlier, uh, being left on pallets in the streets. Uh, that could be have some political motive. So to make Trump look bad, uh, you know, leading into the elections or something. Uh, but... Uh, I still think he's going to win in a landslide and I'm neutral on it because, well, the new guy is just like the old guy. And I don't see any, there's not really any difference between presidents in my mind. 
I personally just think that whatever the Democrats are trying to do is very underwhelming. And I think it's very bearish for their election prospects that they've taken the the hardline quarantine perspective. I mean, I guess someone needs to, but um, I just think that that's not in the zeitgeist. That's not what people want. People don't want to be in quarantine. And, and I think that the willingness for people to get out into the streets and protest and completely break quarantine um, is really kind of proving that. Well, they, they were forced into that, I think, by Trump taking early on. He was taking a stance towards hydroxychloroquine, maybe some social distancing, but it's not so bad. So they were kind of forced to take the other side of the argument that Trump staked out his claim early. Yeah, it's, it, politics is interesting, man. Yeah, we, we don't need to spend too much time for that. We, we all advocate for, for opting out. You can vote every day by stacking stats. Exactly. Yeah. Vote with vote with your money. I know this is more Bitcoin and market stuff, but any analysis about the uh, the thousand dollar swing in the past 24 hours here uh, going from, you know, mid 9000 up to thousand, uh, 10,000 something. And now we're we're sitting back down at 9400. I think that, uh, you know, I was expecting this to be a long consolidation period. And then we broke out above 10,000. But it looks like that was just to squeeze some shorts. And now we're back down into this consolidation zone. So um, I'm, I'm just, if you look at the last halving, you know, it took two or three months till we, st- you know, slowly made the turn till the next new high. And I think we're going to see similar. It's just going to be a month or two now from the halving before we kind of start turning up and getting a new, new highs again. But haven't things changed quite a bit fundamentally, or is it really just about the stock to flow? Like what's, um, is it like a, is it as programmatic as you make it out to be, or does all this fundamental stuff that's happening around the world kind of change, you know, what we should expect from Bitcoin's price? Well, if you look at uh, Bitcoin versus other currencies, I've been doing this a lot recently, like the br- Brazilian real. I mean, it's way at all time highs. I think Mexican pesos all time highs, several others that have some volume there. Uh, they are all time highs with Bitcoin. So Depends. The dollar is just really freaking strong. I don't think it's like programmed in where it's stock to flow. It's not like uh, super fundamental. There is a lot that's going on in the chart where people are trying to run stops or people are trying to squeeze the shorts and then squeeze the longs. But that all takes time to work itself out. So I, I don't see the market being really ready to take off to new highs again, like past 14,000 I'm talking about for another few months. It was uh, it was this month last year when Bitcoin hit fourteen thousand. That came out of the blue, man. That just like March, I think it jumped up, and I said, "Oh, it's going to retrace." Don't don't worry about it. You have time to to buy the dip again, and then it just never came back. Of course, it did come back a year later, but it took a while. It did take a while. Now that was the Bitcoin twenty nineteen pump. We're pumping it to the conference. <laughs> Maximize yeah. success. Yeah, that's true. That did coincide we are seeing like a lot of a lot of discrepancy between the stock market these days and the sentiment and real world situation do you expect stocks to keep pumping and and things to continue to escalate on the ground or do you do you think that at some point stocks are going to correct back to reality it's really interesting because stocks are kind of a savings technology i don't know if you've seen recently there's a the savings rate in the United States has gone up to like 30%. Um, and so I think that there is something to be said for people putting a, like they're, they're making less, but they're also spending a lot less. 
So they're having mm-hmm. this differential and they might be buying stocks. We've seen Robinhood account numbers go up through the roof. Uh, so a lot of people might be buying stocks. I don't know if that's enough to move the market like it is, but it's just kind of separated from reality. It's so far into Neverland that it really doesn't matter. It's almost as if fundamentals don't affect the stock market. So it could continue up to new highs, but uh, I wouldn't eventually someday it's reality has to hit and it's going to go back down new lows than it was in March too. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, actually I really like that framing because I think it's spot on people save in stocks. Now they buy S and P now you can buy slivers of stocks too. So you don't even have to buy whole shares. It's really like you can truly dollar cost average into some of these vehicles I have a friend who's actually super bullish on the stock market and he pretty much bought he he bought the dip on that huge dump and has been riding it all the way back up. I, I think he's playing with fire. This is a clearly very toppy region right here. Um, but he's like, hey, they're gonna keep pumping it. People are gonna keep running from from the dollar into into harder assets and, and he thinks, you know, he has a lot of he's pretty much all in on the stock market right now which I find very, very dubious position, but it's very interesting. Like you're, you're framing it as like stocks have become the savings technology really kind of makes it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And not just for Americans either. Um, Worldwide, uh, the Swiss national bank, they're buying up American stocks. So, um, I mean, it's coming from all over the U S is the safe haven. And that kind of goes into my bullish thesis long-term is that, you know, the U.S. is going to have all the capital. The strong dollar is going to suck all the capital to the United States. And so when we get through this eventually, whether that's five or 10 years, it's going to be a boom time after that. When you say the strong dollar is going to suck in all the capital, that you're kind of alluding to the dollar milkshake theory. Is that correct? Yeah, the dollar milkshake theory. Um, the U.S. dollar is spread around the world in reserves, and it's most of the debt in the world is dollar denominated. Um, we have been importing uh, goods from around the world and exporting dollars for 50 years. When when this all turns south in depressionary times, when there's debt defaults and stuff, the capital flows back the other way. So um, yeah, the dollar milkshake theory by Brett Johnson, uh, he says that the U.S. is drinking everyone's milkshake. So that's uh, where that comes from. Makes sense. You can you can definitely kind of visualize that, like dollars going out, goods coming into the U.S., and now vice versa. Now it's, you know, as debt is being destroyed and uh, the dollars are being reclaimed, it's all coming back and, uh, and it's sucking life out of, uh, sucking life and liquidity out of the, the rest of the world. The federal, that's why my idea about the dollar deflation uh, driven from the euro dollar system, because it's majority outside the United States. All right, Ansel. Uh, I think this is a great episode, a little bit off the cuff. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about QE and central bank currencies. Uh, Ansel's done a lot of really good research here, um, kind of trying to get you up to date on like what has been happening from a QE perspective since this all started in March. So that's going to be a great show. But thanks for kind of listening to this analysis of what's happening right now. It's just so much has been happening and it, it felt like it was, you know, obviously relevant conversation to have is just uh, is to kind of touch on, on all this craziness because it is so tied into what we believe is the root cause, which is the money. Um, Marty Bent says this all the time, but fix the money, fix the world. And not that Bitcoin is a panacea, but uh, reorganizing the incentives, aligning the incentives uh, with a sound money, with a fair money could make the difference.
Ansel, thanks for joining me on this show. For those who want to find you, where can they go? Bitcoinandmarkets.com. I have been posting this podcast on there with all of my like links that I talk about during the show. If they don't make it into the official show notes, I put them onto my website. So people can go to bitcoinandmarkets.com and look for that there. Cool. Well, you guys can find me at CK underscore snarks. Make sure to subscribe to at Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Uh, We're going to be putting out a lot of other great stuff there. I'm working on some specials and uh, Bitcoin in Asia, which is uh, an Asian-focused deep dive on Bitcoin, uh, will also start being published there as well. Thanks for listening. See you next time. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. Mm -hmm.